I'm a business major, and I remember in our classes we had to do case studies. You would study principles and different things, but then you actually studied real companies to see how they were doing things, to see if these principles held up in the real business world. I remember one time we had a, a panel of, this was our big project, we had a panel of professors in the back of the room, and we were uh, talking about the company General Mills. They do cereals and things like that, and uh, I thought that just being funny might, might garner me some favor with the professors, and, and, and so at one point, one person in our group said uh, that you know, General Mills has capitalized upon you know, famous people uh, being on the box of their cereal, like, you know, Michael Jordan on Wheaties. And I said, yeah, all Kellogg's has a snap, crackle, and pop. <laughs> I thought it was funny. My professors didn't think it was that funny. But we, we would, we would uh, do these case studies to take principles and apply them to the real world. Well, uh, this morning... In our study of the book of Acts, chapter 18, we're going to look at a case study that really helps us to understand how our vision as a church, who we want to be as a church, how it applies to real life, what it looks like if we're doing what God has called us to do. So keeping that in mind, turn with me to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. We're continuing our study through the book of Acts. There's 28 chapters in Acts. We are making it to uh, near the end of this book. Acts chapter 18, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Acts chapter 18, verse 1. The Bible says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we come to you in Jesus' name. We are grateful for your presence here. We are grateful, Lord, that Jesus is our cornerstone, the one who saves us, the one we can build our lives upon. And I pray that as we study your word, as we continue out through this service, that Jesus Christ would be exalted in our midst, that we would see his greatness and his glory, and we would leave this place, Lord, more committed to following Jesus wherever he leads. So have your way in our midst. As your word goes forth, would you work in our hearts by your Holy Spirit, that our eyes might be open, that we might see the truths of Scripture and have the wherewithal to put these truths into practice. And we'll thank you, Lord, for that grace. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. It says there in verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens. Well, what's the this? Well, if you go back to the end of chapter 17, you see that Paul spent some time 
in the city of Athens, and he preached a sermon on a uh, famous hill called the Areopagus, where he preached to the religious philosophers of the day. A great sermon. Some ridiculed him after the sermon. Some believed in Christ, and some wanted to hear more. So after he left Athens, he traveled about 37 miles to the city of Corinth. Now, Athens was fading in importance, but in the first century, Corinth was thriving. It was a busy commercial center. It was situated on the Isthmus of Corinth um, with the Corinthian Gulf to the west and the Saronic Gulf to the east. It connected the Greek mainland with the Peloponnesian Peninsula. And the only reason I told you that is because I wanted to say the word Peloponnesian. I just think that's a, that's a great word. So it connected to the Peloponnesian uh, Peninsula. And it had a population of about 200,000. That's more than the population of DeSoto County. It was a, a big city in the first century. And Corinth was known for many things. Number one, because it had uh, different seaports. It was known as a commercial center, sort of a crossroads where, where commerce was thriving. It was known for its r- religious fervency because Corinth had many temples to many of the, 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 the pagan gods of the day. And Corinth was known as a very immoral city. Uh, A lot of immorality took place in this city, rampant immorality. And so it was known for all of those things. And Paul comes into town and looks around and he sees uh, the needs in that city and he sees the potential of that city. So he begins to do ministry to preach and to teach in this city. And what we see happen in Acts chapter 18 is we see a, a really a case study that relates back to us as a church because we have a vision as a church. Matter of fact, look at your bulletin there with me just for a minute. This is at the bottom. This is our vision statement. We want to be a church that expands his kingdom across the street in our area, our community, and around the world. We want to touch the very ends of the earth with the good news of Jesus Christ. That is our vision statement. And this past fall, we rolled out for you a, a new logo which helps to communicate who we are as a church. Notice where it says the point. Notice the O in point. That's our new logo, our new icon there. And notice that it has four little sections that make up that icon. Now the cross in the middle reminds us that the gospel of Jesus Christ is central to all that we do. And these four little parts of the, the icon uh, represent four different parts of our kingdom vision. So I'm going to walk you through our kingdom vision this morning to remind you of these things. And we're going to see what these things actually look like when they're happening. Because again, Acts 18 is a case study uh, concerning our vision. So let me give you the four parts of our vision and show you what they look like here in Acts chapter 18. Number one, the first part of our vision is kingdom citizenship. Kingdom citizenship. We want to see people become citizens of the kingdom of God. The Bible says that before someone places their faith in Christ, they are under the rule and reign of Satan in the kingdom of darkness. And when someone is saved, when they meet Jesus, the Bible says in Colossians 1, they are transferred from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of light. And so we want to see people uh, hear the good news of Jesus Christ, place their faith in Christ, so they can become kingdom citizens, citizens of the kingdom of God. Because that's a wonderful privilege to be in the kingdom of God. So what does kingdom citizenship look like? Well, we see it here in our text. And there are two fascinating stories here that help us to see the importance of kingdom citizenship. The first story 
revolves around a married couple named Priscilla and Aquila. Look what it says there in verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife, Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them, worked, for they were tent makers by trade. Now, the question becomes, why did Aquila and Priscilla have to leave Rome? It says there that Claudius, the emperor at the time, made the Jews leave Rome. Why did Claudius make the Jews leave Rome? Well, uh, Thankfully, we're not in the dark on this because there's a Roman historian named Suetonius that tells us why the emperor made the Jews leave Rome. Apparently, uh, the Jews were rioting with one another. Different groups of Jews were rioting with each other. and It was causing such a stir in the city that Claudius said, hey, I want the Jews out of here. So why were the Jews rioting in Rome? Well, uh, we believe that, historians believe that the, the gospel, the Christianity had infiltrated Rome and Jews were getting saved. They were becoming followers of Jesus. They were following Jesus, believing that he was the Messiah. And, and the Jews that did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah became antagonistic towards those Jews that did believe Jesus was the Messiah. And there began to be infighting among the Jewish people. And because of the rights that were stirred up, uh, Claudius said, hey, out of here. I want the Jews out of here. And so Aquila and Priscilla, this couple, they were Jews, but they were followers of Christ. They were kicked out of Rome. So think of it like this. They were Jews, but they weren't welcome in the synagogue because they believed Jesus was the Messiah. And they were Roman citizens, but they weren't welcome in the capital of Rome. They were kicked out of that city. And so you might say that Aquila and Priscilla really had no place to belong, but they had the privilege of being citizens of another kingdom. Let me tell you another story about a man named Sosthenes. Say that five times fast. Sosthenes. Look what it says down in verse 8. This is in Corinth. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. Now, when the ruler of a synagogue believes in Jesus, guess what? He loses his job. He's no longer the ruler of the synagogue anymore because he believed that Jesus was the Messiah. So he gets saved and his household. Now, fast forward down to verse 12. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, that's the kind of the governor of the area around Corinth, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal. So the Jews in the synagogue didn't want Paul preaching about Jesus because they didn't believe he was the Messiah and they didn't want this message to go forth. So they bring uh, Paul and his companions before the tribunal, before sort of the, the city council, if you will, saying... This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, the governor, if it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves, I refuse to be a judge of these things. Gallio said, I don't want to have anything to do with these these." This Jewish infighting has nothing to do with me. So solve it yourself. And he took no action. Look what it says uh, in verse 23. I'm sorry, verse, uh, verse 22. Oh, wait, I'm on the wrong page. My, my, 
my, my page flipped. Uh, it says there in verse 16, And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes. The Jews all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue. Why was Sosthenes the ruler of the synagogue? Because Crispus got saved, right? Crispus is out of a job now, so Sosthenes is the new ruler of the synagogue. And the Jews, they see Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal, but Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Here's what's happening. The Jews didn't think that Sosthenes did a very good job prosecuting the case against Paul. They thought he failed at his job. So right there in front of Gallio and the leadership of, of this area, the Jews beat Sosthenes in front of Gallio. So the governor turns his back on Sosthenes. The Jews beat him. They turn their back on Sosthenes. And here's Sosthenes, beaten, wounded, battered, all by himself. Not belonging anywhere. So what happened next? Well, here's what I believe happened. I believe that the Christians came to minister to Sosthenes. They treated his wounds. They cared for him. They loved him. They helped him. And, and, and we know that Sosthenes became a follower of Christ. Wait, how do you know that? Well, look over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. You got Acts and you turn past Romans, then you come to 1 Corinthians. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. There's a letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in the city of Corinth. Look what he says. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother, who? Sosthenes. Sosthenes got saved. I believe when Gallio turned his back on Sosthenes and the Jews turned their backs on Sosthenes, the Christians came and loved him and he became a follower of Christ. And guess what? Even though he had nowhere to belong, he became a citizen of the kingdom. And so with Aquila and Priscilla, even though they had nowhere to belong, they belonged to Jesus. And Sosthenes, even though he had nowhere to belong, he belonged to Jesus. So here's the principle that we get from this story. When the world has no place for you to belong, you can belong to the kingdom of love and light. Listen to me. When the world turns its back on you, and eventually it will, when the world turns its back on you, guess what? You can find solace in the arms of Christ and encouragement in the family of God. The kingdom of God is a place for you to belong. It's a place where King Jesus rules and watches over your life. It's a place where the family of God loves you and encourages you. It's a place for you to belong. So even if you don't fit in anywhere else, even if others in this world have turned their back on you, you can experience the joy and the privilege of being a citizen of the kingdom of the King of Kings. His name is Jesus. And so we see here this picture of kingdom citizenship. Being a kingdom citizen is a greater privilege than anything this world can offer. Listen to me. There's no greater privilege than being a part of the kingdom of God. 
And we don't deserve to be a part of the kingdom of God. We don't deserve kingdom citizenship. It's a gift of grace that God offers us through his son, Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you feel like you don't fit in anywhere, you feel like you don't belong anywhere, you feel like your life is being ruined, the enemy is after you, your life is falling apart, you can place your faith in Christ and he will snatch you from the domain of darkness and put you into the kingdom of love and light, the kingdom of God where Jesus reigns supreme. Kingdom citizenship. We see it here in this text. But also, the second part of our vision relates to kingdom families. Kingdom families. We want our homes to be kingdom outposts. Wherever your home is, we want the love and the light of Jesus to shine through your home. Because that's how we make a difference. Outside of these walls, as we live out our faith, wherever God has placed us, we want to see kingdom families in our church. And Acts 18 pictures the kingdom moving in and through families. I love that. Did you know the kingdom of God moves, expands, grows in and through families? And we want to be a part of strengthening families so they can be kingdom families. And there are two really exciting things we see here in the text. Number one, we see marriages on mission. Marriages on mission. Look what it says in verse 18 of Acts 18. After this, this whole episode with Sosthenes, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At century, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow and they came to Ephesus and he left them there. But he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So when Paul leaves Corinth to go to other places to share the good news, he takes this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, with him. He gets to Ephesus. He sees the, the, the potential of Ephesus. And even though he's got to leave, he said, hey, Priscilla, Aquila, you stay here and, and, and begin the work in Ephesus. That's how much he valued the ministry of this couple. And we're going to see next week how Priscilla and Aquila played a major impact in a young man's life named Apollos. Great story next week. And and, and through his letters, through the remainder of Acts, we're going to see how Priscilla and Aquila were used mightily by God. So they are an example of a marriage on mission. Now, let's play the what if game for a moment. What if God intends for your marriage to be more than simply, hey, we're making it, we're surviving? What if God intends for your marriage to thrive? What if God intends for your marriage to make a difference in the world? What if God wants you to be Priscilla and Aquila? He wants you together to make a difference for the kingdom of God. What does it mean to be a kingdom family? It means that our marriages are on mission. We have marriage mentoring for for couples that are struggling, and we have other things that we, we do related to marriage because we want marriages to be strong, but not just for the sake of being strong. We want marriages to be strong because we want them to thrive. We want them to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? We 
we, we, we earnestly desire that. Listen to me. Satan is after your marriage. Can I get an amen? He wants to destroy your marriage. There's no question about it. So we got to be on guard. And we gotta, we got to love each other. And we've got we've to keep our eyes upon Jesus. And, and, and we've got we've to move forward together as a couple. But listen to me. The goal is not just survival. Survival is important, but that's not, the, that's not the goal. The goal is that your marriage becomes a powerful force for kingdom expansion. Marriages on mission. But not only do we see marriages on mission, we see families, entire families, watch this, brought to the foot of the cross. Look what happens in verse 8, Acts 18, verse 8. Back to Crispus. Remember him? Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with, watch this, his entire household. So Crispus gets saved and then he allows the gospel to go to his his family. His entire household gets saved. His entire household comes to Jesus. And that's the goal, right? We want to see the gospel spread through families. Listen to me. When you let the work of Christ that's in you start to move through you to your relatives and your close friends, your your oikos, your circle of influence, when that begins to happen, listen to me, the gospel begins to spread like wildfire and nothing can stop it. And so the goal is is that God uses us to reach our household, to reach our sphere of influence. I was asked this question this past week. What, what, are, what are the greatest joys in being a pastor of a church? And there, there are a lot of things I could say, the, the great joys of pastoring a church, especially this church. There are great joys in pastoring this church. But one of my greatest joys is when you see a a husband and wife that are either unsaved or unchurched, they come and they begin to follow Christ, they get connected to the church, and before long, they're coming to church regularly, they're they're involved, they're under the preaching and teaching of the Word of God, and before long, their kids begin to ask spiritual questions. And that mom and dad have an opportunity to lead their own kids to Christ. And you see the gospel spreading beyond individuals through households. Listen to me, there's nothing more thrilling than that. There have been times I've baptized a mom and a dad and their kids. Does it get better than that? No. Kingdom families. So we see here, marriages on mission and households brought to the foot of the cross. Oh, and how we want to see that happen here. That's what we mean when we speak of, of kingdom families. But there's a third part of our kingdom vision. We've talked about kingdom citizenship and kingdom families. But third, I want to talk to you for a moment about kingdom connections. Kingdom connections. Uh, Look what it says in verse 3. Acts 18, verse 3. Bible says that Paul went to see Priscilla and Aquila because he was of the same trade. He was a tent maker. He, He stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And so Paul spent a good amount of time around Priscilla and Aquila, and they were making tents, right? They were together a lot. Uh, Look what it says down in verse 7. Verse 7. 
says he left the synagogue, he left there when they opposed him, and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. So Paul goes and hangs out in the house of Titius Justus. They're spending some time together. Look what it says in verse 9. You're going to see a pattern emerging here. Look in verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. Look in verse 18. After this, the episode with Sosthenes, Paul stayed many days longer. So you get the feel here that Paul's not in a hurry, right? He's making tents with Aquila and Priscilla. He's hanging out in the home of Titius Justice. He's there a year and six months. He's in no hurry. He's there for a while. And because he was there for a while, he had opportunity to make great impact. Listen to me. Impacting others requires time and proximity. Let me say it again. Impacting others requires time. You've got to spend time with folks and proximity. You've got to be near them to impact them, right? And if there's anything that we're struggling with in the 21st century, it's time. It's hard to find time to just be with other folks, isn't it? And to spend time around other folks where we can impact other folks and have other folks impact us. Time and proximity are both important here and 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 Paul is spending that time and he's near to these folks it reminds me of what the Bible says in Mark 3 about Jesus he called his disciples and it says he called them I think it's verse 14 he called them so that he could be with them he called them so he could spend time with them I mean think of all the hours that Jesus spent with his disciples, Peter and James and John, these other guys, they were hanging out together. And I want you to hear me. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is hang out. Do you hear what I just said? Hang out. Because it's hard to impact others and have others impact you if you're not around them. So wait, what do you mean by kingdom connections? Here's what I mean. As we study God's word together, everyone say together. As we study God's word together, live life together, serve together, we will grow into faithful followers of Christ. I shared this with you before, but but we want to have such good relationships with other believers that can encourage and challenge us that when they come to our house, they have refrigerator rights. You know what that means? It means they can go to your refrigerator and get something without even asking. That's how good you know them, right? They show up and go get some orange juice or something, right? Refrigerator rights. Now listen to me. How many of us have that level of relationship with someone other than our family? Not many. Because we don't spend time and we don't practice proximity. But as we study God's word together, 
as we live life together, as we serve together in the context of that community, we will grow into faithful followers of Christ. That's the plan of God over in 2 Timothy 2, verse 2. It says that, that Paul's saying to Timothy, listen, the things I've passed on to you, you pass on to others who will be able to pass them on to, to others. We've got to spend time together to pass on the truths of the Christian faith. And so, kingdom connections are so very important. I've shared this with you before, but a major turning point in my life was when I was in college and my church back in Florida called a new pastor. His name was Chris. And, and Chris was just out of seminary and, and he came to our church in Perry, Florida to be the pastor. And he just began to just spend time with me. I mean, we'd, we'd go fishing together, we'd play video games together, we would play basketball together. We'd go riding around in his truck and we'd listen to great sermons, like sermons by R.G. Lee. If you don't know who R.G. Lee is, come talk to me. And I'll, I'll give you some recommendations of where to start, payday someday. But anyway, great preacher. And we would just ride around and listen to sermons and, and talk about the Bible and ministry. And God began to deal with my heart about a call to, to pastor and, and preach the gospel. And, and I began to bounce things off of him. And in the context of that time and proximity, God was just transforming my life. He was accelerating his work in my life in the context of that relationship. And I believe that if we will avail ourselves of those kind of relationships, connect groups, small group discipleship, whatever you want to call it, We'll get in those, those groups where we're spending time with each other in the context of that community. We will see real growth in our Christian lives. Kingdom connections. We see it here in the text, time and proximity. But there's a fourth thing. Again, we talked about kingdom citizenship and kingdom families and kingdom connections. But the fourth part of our vision, which we see here in this case study, refers to kingdom advance. Kingdom advance. Look what it says. Uh, back in verse 4, back in verse 4 of Acts 18, it says, as he reason, And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. So Paul is in Corinth, and he's trying to persuade Jews and Greeks as he preaches the gospel to become followers of Jesus Christ. And there are four things, if we're going to advance the kingdom... There are four things that need to happen in our church. Number one, we need to be strategic. Paul thought strategically. F.F. Bruce writes, Corinth was the kind of city which Paul's strategic eye discerned as a promising center for intensive evangelism, and there he settled for a considerable time. So Paul walks into Corinth and says, man, look at this. Seaports. People are coming and going all the time from different nations. And they're religious, they're thinking about spiritual things. So if I can walk in the middle of this city and preach the gospel, and folks get saved, and then they take the gospel with them on these trips from the seaport to other nations, think about how strategic this city could be. He thought strategically, and we need to think strategically. We need to look at open doors and say, how can God use us to make a difference in, in this situation? Where, where can God use us to make a difference in this world? We need to be strategic. Number two, we need a relentless, I'm sorry, we need ministry saturated with the word. Ministry saturated with the word. Look what it says in verse five. But the Jews... 
I'm sorry, verse 18, verse, chapter 18, verse 5. It says, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word. Look in verse 11. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So Paul's ministry was founded upon the word of God. Listen to me. Our Bible is truth with no mixture of error. The word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we need to make sure that whatever we try to do as a church, whatever our ministry is, it is founded upon the unchanging truths of the Bible. That's so important. Paul's ministry was a a Bible-based ministry. He was simply preaching and teaching the word of God. He was saturated with the word. That word occupied in verse 5 is a great word. It means to be wholly absorbed in. So, So Paul was wholly absorbed in the ministry of the word. It was consuming to him. It was all about preaching, teaching the word. I'd love if when I'm through pastoring and God's ready for me to step into eternity, I'd love if people say, you know what, Wade was, he was occupied with the word. He was wholly absorbed in the word. And I'd love if people said about Longview Point, hey, Longview Point is a church that is, that is just wholly absorbed with the word. They're a Bible church. The Bible is front and center. Wouldn't you love that to be said about our church? If we're going to advance the kingdom, it must be said about our church because we've got to be a church founded upon the Bible. Third, we need a relentless focus on Jesus. Verse 5, look what he says. He was occupied with the word, Paul was, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. Make no mistake about it, Paul talked all the time about Jesus. It's easy for a church to talk about God in a generic way. Just, you know, kind of a generic sense of God. But listen to me. We're talking about the one true God who's revealed himself through the word of God and through his son, Jesus Christ. That's who we're talking about. And we must, we must present Christ. We must talk about Christ. We must worship Christ. We need a relentless focus on Jesus. My, again, my prayer and my hope is that when people encounter Longview Point and, 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 they, and they leave and, or encounter our members out there in community and they, and they leave those members, they walk away saying, man, those folks are all about Jesus. A relentless focus on Jesus. By the way, he's the only way to be saved. He's our only hope, amen? Hey, hey why would we talk about anyone else? Jesus saves a relentless focus on Jesus. But then we see, as we think about kingdom advance, that we need to have confidence in the gospel. Look what it says there in verse 9. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. So here's what the Lord says to Paul. If you'll just keep preaching the word, presenting Jesus Folks are going to get saved. God foreknew those who would place their faith in Christ through the ministry that Paul had in Corinth. Hey, if you keep preaching, folks will get saved. And so Paul had this this great confidence in the gospel. He knew that if he just shared it, folks would get saved. Guess what? 
if we will just share the good news, people will get saved. We need to have confidence in the gospel, the power of God unto salvation. Now, Paul saw the power of the gospel in saving the hardest to reach. Look what it says in verse 8. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. Again, if you walked into Corinth and said, who's the least likely to follow Jesus? You probably would have said, Crispus is the least likely person in this city to be saved. He's the ruler of the synagogue, and yet Crispus gets saved. Now, let's do a little little thought game just for a minute. Think about your own circle of influence. Think about people in your life, people in your family. Just could you, could you just think of somebody right in your mind right now? Could you think of someone that you would call the least likely person in your life to get saved? Think about that person. Who's the least likely person in your life to get saved? I mean, they're just far from God. Their heart is hard. They're not interested. They're antagonistic. I mean, the, the, the hardest person to reach in your sphere of influence. Who is that person? Guess what? Their hard heart is no match for the gospel. Crispus got saved, right? And the hardest to reach person in your life can be saved because the power of the gospel. So don't give up. Also, as we think about this confidence in the gospel, he was assured that God was going to save many. You say, wait, we got all this stuff going on. We'll see a video in just a few moments about a, a group that was in Vancouver on a mission trip and a group that was in Sioux City, Iowa. And we've sent two teams recently to a group of islands on the other side of the world. We're going to send another team at the end of this month. And then we send people all over in different places, different countries. So we had all that effort, all those resources, all those long plane trips. I mean, is it going to make a difference? I mean, is, is all that effort going to matter as we seek to advance the kingdom? I mean, think about this, these islands on the other side of the world. Population of 400,000 people. Very diverse uh, makeup of, of, of tribes on this island. Many of them have never even heard the name of Jesus. So can we go to those islands trip after trip after trip with confidence that folks are going to get saved? Or are we just spinning our wheels? Here's the answer. In Revelation chapter 7, the Bible records that when we all get to heaven, around the throne of Jesus, listen to me, there will be people worshiping Jesus from every tribe, every tongue, every ethnicity. So here's what I know based upon the authority of God's word. Listen to me. Those, those, those tribes on the other side of the world that we're trying to reach in those islands, they're going to be representatives from those tribes around the throne. In other words, folks are going to get saved. Maybe God will use us. Maybe he'll use somebody else as we train the, the churches there to go out and share the gospel. Maybe he'll use us or someone else's efforts, but we know someone from those tribes is going to get saved because they're going to be around the throne worshiping King Jesus. You know what that is? That's confidence. If we would just go out with the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can have confidence that people will get saved. And when the dust settles on human history, 
there will be a representative from every people group on the face of the earth worshiping King Jesus. So Paul had that confidence to to stay in Corinth and we need to minister with that confidence as we seek to advance God's kingdom. So again, look at your bulletin just very quickly. Look at the front of it. The little icon there with the O in point. Notice the four parts. Kingdom citizenship. Kingdom families. Kingdom connections. Kingdom advance. And again, there in the very center is the cross, which reminds us that we desire for the gospel of Jesus Christ to be central to all that we do. So wait, are these just words on a page and just little, you know, this logo mean anything? This vision to expand God, does it mean anything? Or just you just, you know, doing your preacher thing? We've seen the case study, haven't we? This stuff really works, doesn't it? It worked for Paul in Corinth. And if we will be about the kingdom, God can use us to make his glory known in ways that we can't even fathom. So here's the the point of the passage, and here's what I want you to walk away with, and we'll be through. Our passion is kingdom expansion, and the Bible shows us how to live out that passion. We're not flying blind here. The Bible gives us case studies. The Bible gives us principles. The Bible guides us so that we can be a church that expands the world.